Okay, keeping with the theme of our podcast, today we're going to be talking to a very, very creative person. Yes, our guest is a writer, producer, and director, and she also wrote a children's book. Multi-talented, that's what I would say. She certainly is creative with an inspirational story and a very genuine person. everyone. Hope you're having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn from their life's experiences, right? Right. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively with their own passions. So, Angie, share with us who our guest is going to be today. Well, our guest today is Nikita Hadengadi, and she is a writer, producer, and director, and she's written a children's book that is very inspirational for children everywhere. Oh, yes, she has. It's probably not terribly common that somebody can write, produce, and direct their own films. Mm -hmm. And what's even more interesting is she has her own production company. That's yeah. pretty, that's pretty cool. That is cool. So it's time for your quote. Okay. What do you have for us that is going to make us think or inspire us? Okay. Well, here is the quote for this episode and it goes like this. A good director creates an environment which gives the actor the encouragement to fly. And that is by Kevin Bacon. And I always remember him from the original Footloose. Do you oh, yeah. remember that movie? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. so much fun back in the 80s. Good music. I know he's done tons since then, but that's the one that I just, I guess that's when I first knew about him and was introduced to him and I really enjoyed that movie. Was he a director too? I think he might have been, but I'm not sure right now. But so I don't have that. Very successful actor. Absolutely. Terrific actor. It, it, to me, the interesting thing about the temperament of a good director is the response he or she gets from the actors. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that. So true. And it looks to me like actors, especially today, are not too bashful about publicly liking or disliking a director, which seems to me could hurt your career, but they can be pretty vocal. Well, you know, though, I, th I think when they do vo voice their opinions about that, it's because, you know, they want to do a good product and they want to be creative and have someone be on the same page. So... You know, I can understand that if, if you're not jiving with someone, but, which obviously happens sometimes. Well, top directors are always capable mm -hmm. of attracting top talent. Right, right. And, and in the beginning, I guess talent and directors are trying to come up with a magic combination. Yeah, and, and collaborate and, you know, and sometimes personalities get in the way, unfortunately, there too. So, you know, but our guest is one of those directors um, that the actors that she's worked with they all seem to really love her and have a lot of respect for her, and they should. She's a fantastic lady. Well, she's, she's uh, I'm sure, not only is she very talented, but she knows how to work with people. She really does. Uh, this interview with Nikita is going to be a very candid one, uh, which is kind of nice. She is a, a very personable, 
Mm-hmm. And she is going to share her life story and her journey. This is going to be a good one. I think it's going to be great. So let's bring on Nikita Harangari, a multi-talented creative person. Nikita, welcome to the Thought Road podcast. It's exciting for us and our listeners to have an award-winning writer, director, producer to chat with us today. I'm excited. Yeah. Hi, Nikita. We're also happy to have you sharing with us the children's book that you wrote entitled We Are American. We had the opportunity to see it, review it, and read it. And I know that many children and adults are really going to love it. I bet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so excited to be here and to chat with both of you today. We're happy to have you with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. But, you know, before we officially start the interview, we always ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So, Nikita, what did you have for breakfast today? So today I had a quinoa and apple porridge with cinnamon, maple syrup, almonds, and a teaspoon of homemade key. Oh, wow. That is so healthy. I'll say it's Good healthy. For you. Good for you. So nice. Well, it, it, it just happened today. I mean, usually I just have a piece of toast, but <laughs> <laughs> today you lucked out. Huh? Yeah, today, today I lucked out. Yeah. Good you're, for you. You were prepared for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, Nikita, why don't you share with us where you are originally from and where you grew up? So I was born in India, and then I moved to the United States when I was two. Um, I lived in Florida, Ohio, Chicago, but uh, North Carolina is, uh, is, is where I, I really grew up. I uh, completed all my education there. That's why I studied in college, and I am currently in a town called McKinney, that's about 40, 45 miles north of Dallas. Oh, so in Texas. Yeah. Texas. Well, when you were growing up, did you have a favorite childhood memory that you would share with us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when I was, uh, I think it, this was mostly from elementary through middle school, when we'd come home on the bus and we'd rush to the front door. Usually our mom had sandwiches ready for us, but I remember there were several times a year when as soon as she opened the door, we could smell spaghetti and she, my mom does not eat pasta, but she makes the best spaghetti. And as soon as you get a whiff of that, we're like, oh my God, (laughs) it's the best day ever. Even if we had a horrible day. Oh, so that that's, that's, good. that's one of my favorite memories. Yeah. So what did you typically have for dinner then if your mother never cooked pasta, yeah. which is very American, that by is, the way? That is very American, even though <laughs> it's really kind of Italian. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we we normally had Indian food, mm-hmm. um, but we did have some Mexican food, some Italian food uh, and and sandwiches was was our way of being American. So when we got home, we're like, no, we don't want Indian food. We want peanut butter jelly sandwiches and, and chocolate milk. So so this way we could we could keep our Indian traditions as well as be Americans too. Oh, perfect. I well, mean, that's what it's about. I mean, yeah. Indian food is a very healthy it's diet. It's delicious. It's so, so tasty. And it's delicious for sure. Yeah. Well, tell us um, about your journey into becoming a writer. So, um, 
I've always been interested in storytelling and my parents tell me that when I was about three years old and they would have dinner parties, I I wouldn't let the adults eat dinner until I got to tell them some stories and they were all not interesting, but, (laughs) (laughs) but that's something that I just, I've always liked doing. And, um, I never really thought that I would actually get to, uh, uh, get into writing or filmmaking Mm -hmm. because as an Asian American, um, you know, most of my friends, their parents would ask them, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? But Asian Americans' parents don't ask them what they want to be when they grow up. They ask them, when you grow up, are you going to be a doctor or an engineer? So you you just, and I picked engineering. So uh, I studied engineering and um, that's, that's what I did for many years. But, uh, you know, writing was something that I really loved, all forms of storytelling, Mm -hmm. all forms of art. So I just kept doing it. And then when my children were in elementary school, they were, they were talking, you know, they were asking me, are we American? And, uh, but, you know, we speak Hindi at home and we've lived in Europe. So what are we, we really? And I thought, hey, this, this is a good time to just start, um, you know, some, making some drawings to show them that, uh, the the diversity in America. Yeah. This is this is one of the most beautiful things about America is that there are all kinds of people. And so I started drawing pictures and with the pictures then I I drew so many and then I put them together and uh, I created a children's book. You know, we're going to discuss your children's book a little bit later on, but right now when we're talking about your early days as a writer, mm-hmm. did your uh, parents encourage you at all? Yes, they 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 did, and um, you know, I took I took some writing classes in school, and and they always knew that I liked writing, and they really enjoyed it. But they never thought that this was something that I would pursue because everyone just assumes that you're you're going to do something in science or math or, mm-hmm. and so um, I did enter some poetry and poetry competitions and. And then there were some uh, cultural magazines where some of my poems were published. And but it was just supposed to be a hobby. It wasn't supposed to be something that I was going to pursue seriously. Well, apparently you pursued it because I'm going to talk a little bit about you and your production company. I can't imagine it was easy for you to create your own production company. And how did that come about? I know that has quite a bit to do with your background in writing. Uh, but tell us how that came about, you creating your production company. It's kind of exciting. So, yeah, um, I had written a short story back in 2011. And I, at that time, I, I had decided that I wanted to take that short story and turn it into a film. And, you know, film was also something that I grew up like every weekend watching movies, uh, English movies, Indian movies. And, and I was just so enthralled by it. And I thought, you know, I've never made a film before. And, and by then I had children and, and, and I, and I couldn't get into writing. I mean, getting into, uh, 
you know, film school, et cetera. So I just decided, hey, I'm if I want to learn how to make a film, I'm just going to make a film. And the best way for me to do that is to, you know, get it, get a team together. Mm-hmm. Of course, that didn't happen until 2018. And I just decided that if I want to do something, I'm going to have to do it myself. Um, I don't know any filmmakers, but I slowly started foraying into the film industry. I found groups in this area that that made films. And so I started volunteering. I took acting lessons and um, one thing led to another. And then I actually got fired from a from a job because I was on vacation for three days and I had told I, I was hired as an assistant director and I told my producer that, hey, I'm going uh, uh, snowshoeing in the mountains for a couple of days and I won't be back until Monday. And so I will read the script on Monday when I get back. When I got back on Monday, I found out that I was fired because <laughs> they couldn't reach me wow. mm-hmm. um, during during the weekend. Yeah, and that was um, that was very depressing for me because I thought, how am I going to pursue this? And my children were were little at the time, and they said, "Why do you have to help other people make their movies? Why can't you make your own movies?" Wisdom of your that children. That's a very good point. Yeah. So I and I really, I I I thought about it. And I said, "My gosh, they're they're so right." Am I afraid? You know, what am I afraid of? And so. I started my production company and I learned as much as I could on my own while raising two children with my with my husband mm-hmm. and and then you know everything just kind of fell into place and and I decided if I really want to do it then then I need to be serious about it so I started my production company and I registered it as a business mm-hmm. and I just went on from there wow. and apparently you found the resources you needed yeah, it's so funny. Once you once you decide to do something, uh, people will just come and 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 help you, and you'll be able to find resources. You'll be able to find people with the same interests. See, that's really wonderful. How you you just like, even though there was a, a little adversity there with you know getting fired, but I, actually that was a, a a huge blessing, a huge reward for you because then you could just go on and do get you know get busy and and do it yourself now I know that you said you maybe watch some videos and things like that on how to do this um when you first started out and you assembled your cast assembled your production um because I, I feel that that is such a big undertaking how did you how did you put all that together, uh, you, you know, and make and it manage happen it. and manage it? Yeah. Well, so the very first little film that I did, I did for something called a 48 hour film project. Yeah. And it's a it's a 48 hour contest. And so I thought if I'm ever going to make a film, I should first do this. So I went in on a Friday afternoon and they give you the name of a character, one prop, and one sentence that has to be in the film. Mm -hmm. So I went around prior to that looking for people, and I couldn't get a group together. And one of my friends told me, she said, oh, yeah, um, 
I know how to work a camera. And I thought, okay, great. So I went home, I wrote a story, I called up a bunch of people and everyone said, oh no, I don't know how to act and no, I'm not going to help you. So I, I went home on Friday, I wrote the story all night and then Saturday morning I woke up and I said, I'm just going to be a one-man show with me, my kids <laughs> and my friend. And when I went to her house, we were going to shoot in her backyard and she said, oh, I know how to use a still camera. I don't know how to shoot video. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I called my husband and I said, you have to come right now and shoot a film. And he goes, I don't know how to shoot a film. <laughs> and I said, well, you just have to do it. I don't know how to make a movie. Um, so we shot it and we submitted it on time. And it was a horrible film. And uh, people really laughed and they said, you know, you should find something else to do because this is terrible. But somewhere deep down inside, I said, I just really have to do this. So when I took my took this uh, story that I wrote in 2018 mm -hmm. called Falafel, I said, well, I'll just get started. And so the first thing that I did was uh, there's a dance routine in the film. And I found a piece of music one day and I said, I love this music so much. I'm going to put this in the film. So the first thing I did was I contacted the composer mm -hmm. uh, who was somewhere in Sweden. Oh and he says, well, you have to call a licensing company because I have licensed this piece to them. So I said, OK, what's the company? So I call the company and I told him I'm a poor filmmaker and uh, I don't have thousands of dollars, but I really need this song. So they they gave me a great price. And I licensed it. And that's where I started. Oh, from. great. Oh, my goodness. Just so you know, Steven Spielberg's first film wasn't so red hot either. So you're a good company. <laughs> well, I think everyone's first film is, you know, you're you're trying trying your your muscle out. And, and that's seeing, how you learn. Yeah, that's, that's how you learn. learn. The first brush stroke of is. a painting isn't always the best. Yeah, no, it's not. Or, or probably the very first stories you had written uh, did not lend themselves to film. I mean, writing for film is quite a bit different than writing a short story. Yeah. Where do you shoot these films? So my, my first film, uh, Falafel, is set in London, but we shot it in Dallas um, because it was very expensive for us to actually go to London with with a cast and, and, and a crew. And so we decided to shoot in Dallas and Downtown Dallas has some buildings that really have a taste of European and English ar architecture. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we went to those areas and we we shot. And then we got a great um, graphics artist um, to come in and add elements uh, like a double-decker bus or some British flags and stuff and put it into the film. And so even though it's all shot in downtown Dallas, it really looks like it's been shot in London. No kidding. Oh, wow. That is so wonderful to be able to do that. You didn't have to travel or put yourself through all that location stuff. And, and well, a lot of film done. companies do that though. Uh, yeah, They'll they go do. to a city and turn it into wherever uh, they want it to be. Well, they could turn it into <laughs> another planet yeah um did you so how did your how did your characters um 
do they speak do they have british accents so none of my uh, actors are british but like like most children uh who have seen british films everybody likes to talk in a british accent mm-hmm. so it's from childhood all of us have been you know trying to imitate british accents and so when i when i told my cast hey you you have to do the dialogue uh not as americans but as but as englishmen and they were just so excited about it um that even our crew our cinematographers and our our lighting crew and everyone was talking in a british accent <laughs> on set <laughs> keep the so theme going cute. yeah you you have a production company you created a production company and you explained pretty much what your production company does but i guess everything stops with you the buck stops with you everybody that comes to you for story changes lighting changes camera angle changes do you do the whole production or do you produce every element of it or does somebody else pick up on say the ld the lighting direction or whatever so um so since i i directed the film but usually uh, what the director does and, and, and what I did is before we, we shot on location, we actually sat down. I sat down with my cinematographer. Um, I talked to the light, to the uh, lighting crew. I talked to the sound person and I tell them what I'm looking for. Um, I kind of give them a vision of what this film should look and feel like. And then they, you know, they will discuss how what angles they're going to use to shoot the film. And, and then I'll tell them what my ideas are and what kind of lighting do I want based on, on what the story's about. And, and then, you know, once, once we've hashed everything out, I, I just trusted that they would be able to, to, to work within that vision. And they did. Um, And, and it was the same with, with my actors. Mm -hmm. We rehearsed, for a while and I told them what kind of emotions I wanted for each scene. And then once we had rehearsed it back and forth, um, then I just let them carry on the way that they, that they felt comfortable. So after you shot a few minutes or 20 minutes, whatever, did you look at a monitor and see how everything looked and made changes if needed? Yes, and so I had my own monitor that I could I could I could watch while while it was being filmed. Um, but because the space was so tight, um, I actually had to be in another room, so I couldn't actually be directing my actors on set. I was in 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 another room, and that was a bit challenging because I think the energy is just different. When you're with your actors, oh, but sure. the good thing was that I could see what it looked like, and I had a microphone, and so I could talk to them. You could yell at them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I did once uh, somewhere past midnight on the first night of the oh, shoot. Oh yeah, <laughs> that can happen. I think, but you know what was kind of cool when um, you were doing that is you were becoming the total viewer because you know sometimes when you're on set and you're watching a scene, it has a certain energy, like you said, but the moment you remove yourself and have to go into a different room and to be able to watch 
um, the action, sometimes it plays out a little differently. So it may have been kind of a pain in one area, but maybe helpful to you in another, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, sure. Yes, yes, that's that's really true because when you watch it on screen, it's so different from when you're actually there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so true. Now, we were talking earlier, but what, what was your first film that you produced and directed? What was it titled? Um, my very first film is, is Falafel. It is Falafel. Okay. I wanted to be it sure. It is Falafel. Okay. And um, my second film that I'll be shooting this summer, again in Dallas, uh-huh. um, is a black and white Italian film that's set in Naples. Oh, nice. And we're doing it in Dallas again. I think this is so we're versatile. Doing it in Dallas. So versatile. You know, you have been quoted as saying the perfect formula for a film is a little humor, a little conflict, and a lot of love. Explain your thoughts behind that quote, Nikita. So I think um, like everyone experiences conflicts. And I think there was a time when films really brought out the problems that exist in the world, um, you know, we didn't we didn't have as much information of what's happening outside of our own homes. But now, because of technology, we have so much information. I think I think film now should be more about healing those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of making everyone aware of them, because I think we're kind of saturated with all this knowledge. Um, So I think in a film, if you have a conflict, adding some humor to it makes it lighter. And it also makes it, I think, more of a feel-good type of film. Mm -hmm. It's it's the same conflict, um, for instance, in, in Falafel. The problem is that these kids are not living their life according to their own to their own wishes. They don't even know what they want to do in life because they've been told what to do. Yeah. And I could have taken a very serious approach with the children being angry with the parents and the families falling apart over this conflict, but I thought it would be be more healing to talk about the conflict, but add some humor and then put a lot of love into it um, so that they actually have a resolution at the end and it becomes a feel-good film because I think the world really needs more feel-good films now. Very good because so, yeah, so typically movies are the protagonist and the antagonist, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's good versus evil throughout. And of course we always hope that good trumps evil. Uh, but I like, I like your theme. I like the way you did that. It sounds really like a great film to watch. And I guess it's available for people to see. It's, um, it's actually um, going through the festival circuit at this time. So when we finish uh, entering it into festivals, which will be by the summer mm-hmm. of 2022. And then we will find an OTT platform that we can put it on so everybody can watch it. Oh, oh fabulous. wonderful. That's okay, great. cool. So good luck on the on the festivals. I know you'll do really well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, and um, let's see. We know from our discussion so far that you're obviously very creative. I'll say. What has been your driving force and what would you tell others that want to follow their creative dreams 
So I think um, I think creativity is something that everyone is just born with, and you can use it no matter no matter what type of work you do. Um, even as a as a parent, um, I had to find creative ways to make make my kids learn things, or even um, like creative ways of punishing them <laughs> right. where, where right. they're not. Uh, uh, I I remember very distinctly my daughter when she was about two years old. She suddenly decided to throw a tantrum on the hallway floor, and I said, "Gosh, I've given her several timeouts, and I don't think that's working." And so I decided to be creative and just lay down on the floor next to her and started throwing a tantrum too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> she <laughs> she looked at me. She got up. And she lit, she rolled her eyes and just walked away. And I said, wow, that worked for today. <laughs> That's Tomorrow brilliant. I'll have to come up with something else. That's brilliant. But I think, I think creativity is, is just a way of life. And, and it's something that we should keep doing because I think all human beings are, are creators. So well, we agree with you. That's yeah, something so we should just agree. do. Yeah, so we agree, agree with you. That's kind of the theme of our whole podcast. You know, before we discuss your book, I would like to ask you this question. Every successful creative person tries to be original and authentic, but there are times when we all have some self-doubt. I know we do. How do you manage to get through those times? So I think that if you want to do something, if you have a desire to do something, you've already been given the tools and the ability to to do it. Um, you're never going to want to do something that that doesn't coincide with the gifts that you have. Like, for instance, I have never in my life for even a split second wanted to be a football quarterback. And I have nothing, I'm my neither my body nor my, my, um, Ability. I don't have any agility. I'm terrible at sports. <laughs> so that's, and I would never want to do that. So that's why I don't have any of those skills. But if you feel like, hey, I really want to paint, believe me, you already have, you already have the ability to paint. Now you may not be a paint, a great painter the first time you pick up a brush. You may have to take classes or you may just have to practice a lot. But if there is something that you want to do, you already have all the talent to, to do it. So never doubt something that you want to do. Great answer. Such a good answer. Thank you for that. I think that everybody needed to hear that. So it's wonderful. Um, I know that we were going to talk about your children's book, which I'm really excited about. So tell us about your children's book that you wrote. So this is... Um, it's really a picture book, and um, it it covers thirty seven different countries. But it's it's a book about the diversity of people in America. So this this book teaches diversity. It teaches foreign language because you learn how to say hello in many different languages. Um, it teaches you. It gives you just a glimpse of international culture, as well as American heritage. Um, it teaches us tolerance. Uh, it teaches us peaceful pluralism. 
It's a great book for anti-bullying. And it's also a book about patriotism. Because in the United States, we have people from all over the world who have decided to make this their home. Mm -hmm. And I think um, a lot of times, um, if we don't have exposure to different kinds of people, we don't even know that they exist. And sometimes we're we're afraid of them. Many things that we're afraid of um, are things that we that are unknown to us. So instead of trying to uh, you know, get into the children's faces and say, hey, you, you have to accept all kinds of people, hmm. I thought at making a colorful children's picture book about children that are all different colors, that have all different features, that came from di- whose families came from different countries. If we show little children these books, they'll feel comfortable with it. And then when they meet children who who look different, who eat differently, who have different skin colors, um, it won't be so strange and they won't be afraid. And And I think that also helps bullying because a lot of times kids bully one another because because they're afraid of them because they don't know them. Mm-hmm. It's different. Yeah. So excellent book. And also though, um, how did you, did you illustrate this yourself? Yes. Um, I wanted it to, because it's a children's book, I wanted it to look like a child made it. So, so what I did is I used uh, paint software that you you get uh, with with your Microsoft oh, okay. um, Windows, and um, it's a it's a free free application. Children can go on there and just just paint pictures, and and so I did all of my my paintings on this free software, and um, that's how I put it together. But it. It it took a lot of time because I had to use a mouse to to draw. Oh my goodness! And um, so yeah, that was that was a little hard. Um, but but once I got the hang of it, I really 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 enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing research on on different countries and finding beautiful pictures uh, from those countries to mm-hmm. to put in into the book and. This is a good book for to to read with with a parent or an older sibling mm-hmm. um, because you learn so much and 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 each section on one of the pages it says I'm American so kids learn how to if they keep seeing those same words over and over again they learn how to pick up and and read and um this this book has has done well in in uh, Montessori schools and preschools mm-hmm. uh, because it is a picture book, but but children do learn how to read from this book, and they also learn um, how to say hello in different languages. See, that's, it's such a wonderful book, and it's filled with love and acceptance of everyone that we all come from different backgrounds. And I love the fact that you teach everyone how to say hello in many different languages. And it's just really a great way for kids to get exposed to different countries, different um, styles of, of being a person and of being an American. I think that was really a real, a loving 
way to put it into a children's book and so endearing. So Nikita, before I ask you the very next question, what's the title of the book again? We Are American. Okay, great. What we'll do is we'll definitely put a link to it in your um, show guest page. So that way people, if they want to check it out and, and if you'd like to, you can purchase it for someone, you know, and I think or for yourself it. or for yourself. It's so, it's a gorgeous book. Thank you. It's, it's a good coffee table book. Um, and, and it makes a good uh, stocking stuffer during Christmas. Oh yeah. It does. That's a great idea. Or even for 4th of July party. I think that would be kind Fourth of cool. Of July. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be neat? That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, you know, considering that you are a writer, a director, and a producer, you must have some goals and some ambitions that you want to accomplish in the next two years. What are those? Yeah, so um, I want to uh, finish another short in, in Dallas, and then I will be going to India in the fall to shoot a short. And And I decided to shoot a couple of shorts before I shoot my dream project, which is a feature film that is also set in Mumbai uh, about um, a young girl who's it's a it's a coming of age story about a young girl who's who's pretty lost and uh, doesn't know what she wants to do in life. And um, so these three shorts that that I'm I'm doing are in preparation for my dream project. Exciting. That sounds really exciting. And we can't wait to see the uh, movies when you actually come out with them. So you have to let us know about that. Oh, I'd love to. (laughs) Um, I know that um, you have won some important awards. Um, Can you tell us about the awards that you've won so far? And how did it make you feel when you you won them? So... um... You know, we had COVID and so many film festivals uh, had to shift to online. Um, but but the good thing was that, that we could apply to more film festivals because we had more money mm-hmm. um, than if I had to travel. And um, so we our film won a couple of awards um, for best film, best comedy, best romantic film, it also won some awards for for um, best screenplay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So yeah, it was it was wonderful. It made us feel um, like people people were appreciating our work, and this whole process of getting accepted into film festivals. And also getting rejected from many film festivals was was really nice because throughout this whole year, um, I've had these ups and downs. And it made me realize, finally, that am I doing this because I love to do this or am I doing this because I want some recognition? Mm-hmm. And even after getting uh, many rejections... Uh, in in fact, my first few months, all of all the letters that I received were rejections, mm-hmm. and I realized that I still wanted to do it. So I knew that I knew that this is something I really love to do, and so I should continue pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Versus if I had only wanted some kind of recognition. So um, it it really put put things into perspective. And it also made me realize I I also am head of programming 
of a film festival. Um, And so we receive so many lovely movies and we can't take all of them. And uh, we only take films that are, that have a positive message. So there are many brilliantly made films that have negative messages that we can't accept. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that also puts into perspective that just because you didn't get accepted into a festival um, doesn't mean that you didn't make quality work. It just didn't work for them. And that kind of helps you because then you stop worrying about what people think and you just you just do the best that you can. That's a really good point. I think if you were to ask any Nobel Prize winning person in literature how many rejection slips they received, (laughs) they'd say I could paper all my walls with them and then have a box left over. So, (laughs) uh, you know, that's just part of the process. But it also reinforces your commitment to your uh, creativity. And I I actually think it's probably a very good thing because if you get accepted and everybody goes, they love your work and everything's absolutely wonderful. All of a sudden you start questioning those people. Yeah. You're thinking, wait a minute, if I'm so wonderful, why are, you know, there must be something wrong here somewhere. Well, there was a festival that when you apply to a festival, they need to take time to, to review the film. And usually you have a jury that, that does that. So I applied to one festival and 30 minutes later, I got an acceptance letter and I said, how is that possible? They couldn't even have watched the film. And, um, and that made me realize that so many festivals are just there. Maybe, maybe they don't have the experience or maybe they'll just take any film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that kind of put things into perspective for me also. Yeah, I would think so. You know, we know you're a strong supporter of young people that want to direct and produce films. Share with us a little bit about that. Um, so, um, I'm head of programming of a festival called, um, Indica Pictures Festival, and, uh, we provide a platform for, for artists that will make positive films about the Indic culture. Um, again, you know, along the same lines, we have plenty of movies that show negativity. We want something positive. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it is a platform for for people who have never made a film before and also for for people who who have been making films for for many, many years. And um, this just gives them an opportunity to show us what they can do. And we've had films in our festival that uh, by people who who made a film with just their iPhone mm-hmm. because they didn't have have money to get a, a crew together. So as long as it's a well-made story um, with a positive message, uh, we 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 like to encourage those filmmakers. Excellent, that's mm-hmm. good. That's yeah, a good. Really wonderful. And you're giving back, which is always a good mm-hmm. thing. Yes, well, think, we all should give back. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we re- really should. Um, I think we've gotten to the point in our show where I need to ask you our our. Guest question that we ask everyone, and I love the different answers we get. And the question is, if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? So I know there would be many people, but I think I would be most intrigued if I could go back a couple of thousand years 
and find an ancestor of mine. I don't know where they would be living, Mm -hmm. but I would love to ask her what she's feeling, you know, ask her about her concerns for her children, uh, what's going on in their environment, what are, what are uh, problems that they are facing and what, what they imagine the future would be like. I think that would be so amazing to talk to someone from two, 3000 years ago and find if, if, uh, you know, what people's fears were then are the same as they are now and what people would, were dreaming about or imagining about then was similar to what we're thinking about now. And if they had worries about the environment and, and, and other social problems that we have now, even though we, we can read up about these things in, in history books, but we really don't know what, what people felt like back then. So I would love to, to be able to go back or talk to someone from, from so long ago. That's a brilliant answer. That is a brilliant answer. And that would be interesting to, to hear what they had to say, their concerns. Well, you, their have to, you have to kind of assume they, they're worried about their safety. They're worried about the safety of their children. They're worried yeah. about food. Yeah. Uh, but you know all the basic uh, needs that we all have. But it, that would be it. That's that's, that's really good that's really quite an interesting answer. Mm-hmm. Now we have to be thinking about this. I know we're going to be thinking about this all day now because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good answer. Well, I guess it's time that we have to wrap this up. But yeah. Nikita, you have achieved so many successful accomplishments in your life. And I know our listeners are going to really appreciate your insight and your candidness. You're very candid in your thoughts and ideas and what you shared. Really, we really appreciate that. Yes. And Nikita, I was especially interested in learning about your creative journey. Very inspirational for everyone. And knowing the road to your success and to your creative uh, exploration was, it was really interesting to hear all of the things. And your book fantastic book that we encourage everyone to check out um and and i want to let everyone know if you want to know more about nikita hagatangadi did i say that right yeah hagatangadi yes yes hagatangadi we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her connect with her on social media check out her website and we will also have a link to the book on there, too. So thank you for being yes, with us, thank Nikita. You. Thank you so much for, for having me. Um, I've had such a good time chatting with both of you. It's it's so easy to talk to you. And I, I also enjoy uh, many of your podcasts. I've, I've listened to many of them, and they're so enjoyable, and I've learned so much. So thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Well, thank well, you for thank those you kind so words. Much. We appreciate it. Okay, so bye for now. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. 
It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, and all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. <laughs>